Welcome to Nate's Ashes. I'm Mike. And I'm Nate. What are we smoking today, Nate? All right, we are smoking a Kristoff, uh, Connecticut. And I alluded to this last episode, but we never anticipated smoking this stick. Uh, I had gone down to the uh, local tobacco store, Tobacco Grove, not a sponsor, but a wealth of knowledge nonetheless. And uh, I was looking for a different stick for one of our upcoming guests, and they were sold out of that stick. And I told him that uh, Mike and I were getting a little bit more into Connecticut on our podcast. And uh, he was smoking this stick in the store, and he recommended this one. And it's, uh, it's a Kristoff uh, Connecticut Matador. Okay. Now, if you look at this stick, Mike, you'll see that it's got the pigtail on the cap end. Yes, yes it does. And what the guy told me at the store was you simply twist that off and you should be good to go. And you can cut it if you want afterwards. And okay. I know and I know we smoked another stick with a with a pigtail on it and neither of us really knew what to do. We just cut it. Um yep. the other thing to note of this cigar, and I haven't tried twisting it. Have you tried twisting it off? Oh, I, just, I did after you told me I twisted it off and there's a little hole in the end. Yes, there is. Uh, so we can keep it as is or we can uh, we can cut it uh, with our cigar cutters. I'm going to keep it as is. I will keep it as is as well. Uh, now, the other thing to note, if you flip it around to the business end, you'll see that they actually wrapped tobacco leaf over the top. Wow. Of, of the end there. So, and this gives you that the flavor right away of the full stick. Oh. So I I guess we just light it up as it is. So we twist it off the little pigtail. We don't even need a cutter for this one. And then you light the leaf that's been wrapped around the tobacco on the inside. This looks like a more expensive cigar than we are accustomed to smoking. Uh it was about $14 per stick. Okay. Um, maybe 15. Okay. So it's, you know, a little pricier than, I guess, what we normally smoke, but maybe only because we shop discount. We shop discount, yeah. A lot of the sticks we smoke are uh, probably like a $10 cigar at a cigar shop. So I get yeah, so this one's, this one's a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more. This would be kind of like the Rocky Patel. A lot of our Rocky Patel cigars that we smoked were about this price range. Yeah. So, and they're they're good. So yeah, I'm yeah. excited. So I'm, I'm gonna excited. we're gonna light this up. Um, you know, we had a good conversation. I can talk about that after we light up. But uh, I'm I'm gonna light. Wow. Okay. I feel like this one lit a heck of a lot easier than most other sticks do. Mine lit. Mine lit right up. I usually don't have a lot of problems. No, no, I didn't mean like problem wise. I just meant like you know, because you always want to get it even, even lit. But I I feel like this one just kind of like. Just went and the the little hole, the little draw hole, uh, is nice. The flavor is nice right off the bat. Yeah, it's nice. It's uh, so yeah, it's mellow. Uh, he said this one was uh, as far as Connecticut's go. Um, his thing was, you know, a lot of people think uh, Connecticut's are bland, but I said, well, that's not really what Mike and I have been finding out. I mean, certainly there's bland ones, and I told him we even smoked the one of the Bin Maduros you have over here. But that was more bland than any Connecticut we've ever smoked. Um, mm-hmm. But I was like, but what do you expect from a, from a Bin Maduro? 
Uh, but he, he called this a, a medium Connecticut, you know, like more medium bodied Connecticut. Um, it's got good flavor right off the bat. It I'll tell does. You that. It yeah, does. Yeah. 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 This is uh, uh, and really good draw on this one for me. Yeah. Yo, it's surprisingly good. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't throw a fistful into my travel humidor and take him fishing, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the Five Vegas and uh, my uh, perennial favorite Kentucky Cheroo is for. Yeah, uh, but the only reason you wouldn't throw a fistful into a travel humidor to go fishing is probably the price point. Yeah, that's that's right. I'm not going to yeah. like uh, hook a big fish and throw this out into the water. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah, um, which I have done before. <laughs> I believe it. So, but no, it was, uh, it was a good conversation and, uh, he was, uh, asking about our, he was asking after our podcast. And so he went and I saw him, uh, add it to his little podcast thing as, as I was, uh, checking out and, and paying. So, uh, we might this have has a really uh, good flavor, by the way. It does. So far. It does. Uh, so we might have a 10th listener. Well, there we go. We'll see. And, uh, you probably listened to this episode as the first one. Maybe. So Christoph, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I know I've smoked a Kristoff before. Okay, I think I, I might have got one for Christmas this year, but I haven't smoked it yet. Okay, uh, and you know I don't know all of the brands that are out there, so I didn't even know this was really a brand um, until he said. And I've kind of got, and I shouldn't because I, I am a co-host on a cigar podcast, but I don't really know all the cigar brands out there. So no. You know, people are like, oh, yeah. And he was like, oh, and this one and that one. He's like rattling all these off. But he's like, but I'm smoking this one and it's great. I'm like, well, I'm going to grab two of these then. Yep. So I'm glad that we were able to get them and smoke them on the show uh, pretty quickly, actually. And uh, they're long. This is going to be a long one, yeah. Uh, they're long, but they're uh, they're tasty so far. We said we were going to talk about what happened to me at Christmas. Yes. For this episode. Christmas time, sweet Christmas time. And our last episode, <laughs> we talked about uh, Mike's favorite person in the world, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and how she doesn't want people with differing opinions from her. And Mike and I are of the belief that having people with different opinions is a good thing, I guess, within reason, right? If they're combative, then right. probably not. But if they're open-minded and willing to talk and chat and all this stuff, then yes. Very yes. much so. I am for the diversity opinion. Yes. Uh, and yes. so this uh, this one will be a little more personal for me because I'm going to walk you through some of my beliefs and my journeys and and uh, late nights and early mornings. But I don't think it's anything that you haven't heard before or that you haven't been prepared to hear before from me on this podcast. So. We'll just dive right in, shall we? Absolutely. Okay. So we have some friends. Strange, I know, but we do indeed have some friends. And that was me uh, taking another puff of my cigar, not waiting for the sympathy laugh from Mike. But uh, <laughs> Is it we, me, and you, or we, you, and Sarah? Oh, you and I don't have friends together, except for no. uh, uh, Nask or Viking Dan. And, uh, and NASCAR, Natalie, or whatever. This podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, our mutual friends 
are kind of like my Sarah. <laughs> and then that's kind of where it ends. Um, although I do know James vaguely, because uh, he right. helped, helped us move that one time. And I wasn't sure what was happening, but I was happy to have the help because moving sucks. <laughs> yes. So anyway, we have some friends. And this one friend is, um, let's just say, very religious. Uh, not combatively so, but more like Minnesota passive-aggressively so. And uh, we do a meal exchange with them, and they've got like – so every time we do this meal exchange, we gotta we got to like make – 10 freezer meals, right? And then we go and we get 10 freezer meals back that are different because there's 10 people in the group. And so we went and did this and um, she gave us uh, like clothes from her kids or whatever for uh, our daughter. And she told, and, and Sarah, my Sarah went over there and ran and dropped out the food and then came back and she's like, oh yeah. And so by the way, she said that there's also like a Christmas present in here for us. And so... I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know, like thinking maybe it's like brownies or, you know, who knows what it could be. Well, we dig to the bottom of this bag and there is a book. And in this book, there is a letter. And this letter says, hey, I know that, you know, uh, and, and so there's some like, there's some other conversation stuff that happened between uh, us and this friend about this topic that isn't relevant to the story. So I'm just kind of, I'm going to paraphrase what this letter said and then kind of get into what happened after, because that's all anybody really cares about is. So they were like, I know, I know you said you don't burn books and uh, I really want us to all like hang out in heaven together, drinking mimosas. Uh, (laughs) Side note, I don't think there will be mimosas in heaven. Just going out on a limb. Again, I'm an atheist, but do not think there will be mimosas in heaven. That, that, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. That was so fucking funny. <laughs> all right. All right. I, I got it together. Oof. Okay. Okay. So, trying not to kill Mike. Um so anyway, the the thing goes on like, hey, I think you like this book. Uh, it's written by uh, an atheist who found God and then decided to write this book about his journey. And for some of you, you may already know what this book is. Uh, but the book is called The Case for Christ. Okay? And so it's written by, fuck if I can remember now, but it's written by this guy. And um, C.S. Lewis. No, not C.S. Lewis. I've read I've read some C.S. Lewis, and I've read uh, Mere Christianity and the Screwtape Letters. Uh, and I actually enjoyed both, though I'm not a Christian and don't really believe what he's selling. But I felt his conversational tone or, or his, his writing uh, voice to be mostly welcoming and engaging. But uh, this guy, I don't know. I guess it'll kill me. Oh, it's Strobel. Lee Strobel. So he was a uh, he was uh, let's put air quotes around investigative uh, journalist, but he was a journalist, right? And so he wrote all these journal articles for newspapers and, and whatnot. And so he and so the premise of the book is he's turning his investigative journalist skills upon Christianity because his wife came home one day and said, "I'm a Christian and I'm joining this church." And so he had an inner moral struggle because he was an atheist. 
and uh, so on and so forth. Now, let's get into the crux of the matter, or the crucifix of the matter, if you will, <laughs> is um, normally I would have said, hey, great, whatever, donated the book and moved on with my life, right? Like, that's the normal thing. Like, if you've already gone through your faith journey and, and came out an atheist, like, why, why would I read The Case for Christ? Are you ever truly done with your faith journey? You know, that's the Well, and, and maybe that's a good question. But here's the reason why I did what I am about to tell you that I did. Is I had just a couple days before, because I subscribe to a uh, daily stoicism email, where it's, you know, a couple paragraphs and just talking about whatever, how it applies to modern day life or different stories of different people that kind of, they, they might not be Stoics themselves, but they kind of embody some key takeaway or, or thing, you know? And we, and this isn't meant to be like, let's go huge into like Stoicism and, and delve into different philosophies. But point of the matter is that this email digest was uh, basically one of the, one of the Stoic philosophers who, uh, was quoted as saying, um, you know, like it's very important to read, but more important to read things from people you disagree with. Yes. So, and since that was fresh in my mind, I thought, you know what? Fuck it. I'll read this book. It's not that long. I'll read it. So here's what ended up happening is I read the first two or three chapters and I sat there because he laid it out as he was doing a completely objective investigation into Christianity, right? And, and Christ and Jesus in particular. And I was just shaking my head and I'm like, this, this guy used to be a journalist. Well, no wonder he doesn't do that anymore. So I found out that somebody else felt the same way as I did about this book, but they're a New Testament scholar and also an atheist now and believe that Jesus never existed. And he was so pissed off about Lee Strobel's lack of, um, I don't know what what you would call it, like academic um, A academic integrity. Yes, that he wrote the case against the case for Christ, and he went chapter by chapter and basically tore Lee Strobel to shreds. But what Lee Strobel doesn't tell you, but what this other guy does, uh, Robert M. Price, and he does a lot of like Cthulhu novels, but he also is very active in the um, New Testament circles and things. But uh, but what he tells you is. By the time Lee Strobel got around to writing this book, he was the pastor of a megachurch, right? Uh, so he's so he's not going. This is not his initial study, and he and and if you if you know that and you're paying attention, you can tell because he kind of drops hints that he's recreating his initial journey. But what uh, Robert Price says is that Lee Strobel was never really an atheist. He was like a lapsed Lutheran. You know what I mean? Like. Right. He just kind of stopped. Catholic. Yeah, he stopped going to church on Sundays, but he still like wanted to believe. And what really threw me at the very beginning of the book was Lee Strobel says he put a little asterisk. He's like, "I'm going to interview all of these scholars," and then there's a little asterisk, and the and you go down to the bottom of the page, and the asterisk goes, "But the interviews have been edited for content and time," and it's like. Oh, okay. So that gives you basically way to have them say whatever you would like them to say. 
not that not that I believe that any of the people he interviewed said things he didn't want them to say, because he didn't actually interview anybody who had anything other than what he wanted them to say. Yes. Uh, well, it was fascinating because despite me not believing what Lee Strobel is trying to sell, I, I still learned a huge amount about the Bible and religion just in general, regardless if you believe it or not. But uh, one of the chapters, and so, you know, when you're writing a college thesis or something, right, like you have to have the opposing, you have to acknowledge the opposing viewpoint to have a strong essay, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, you know, definitely. generally or, generally speaking, you know, like. Yeah, well, I went to school for history, so most of mine were making an argument or you you take a position on the topic and then you present evidence that's topic. Yeah, and but you would still kind of that, like the counterpoint. You yeah, you have to sprinkle in, yeah, the anything that contradicts and why what you're saying is correct versus what they're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So he did a chapter for counterpoint, and he goes, "So there's this rogue group out there that doesn't believe Jesus ever even existed." And to, to bring counterpoint to my argument, I am going to interview somebody from my train of thought camp and not actually somebody from this evil organization that I just mentioned. And then they, he goes on a whole chapter about how evil this organization is just because they don't believe Jesus existed. Right. But they're still like religious scholars. But he, like, but heaven forbid he interviews one of them to get an actual counterpoint to his argument. He interviews one of him to just discredit this other group instead of actually interviewing this other group. Right. It's pure you know propaganda. what I mean? And, and so, yeah. and exactly. And so I was like, what in the actual fuck? And one of, and so, and this is just, I mean, everybody can believe what you want to believe. And the whole time I was reading Lee Strobel's book, I thought to myself, you know what, if I believed in Jesus Christ, and you know, and I thought I did for, I don't know, close to 18 years, right? 16 some years, would I need actual historical evidence that he walked on water or turned water into wine or raised somebody from the dead? Would I need actual hard hitting historical evidence to justify my faith? Like, I'm going to guess. What's your guess? Probably not. Probably not. Because if you read the actual Bible, if you doubt Jesus or God, you do not truly believe. That's the whole that's the whole linchpin in religion. But here Lee Strobel is trying to go through and historically prove that all of these things happen. And as a as a history major, Mike, I want to ask you, and this is one of his big arguments. Um but before we get into the big argument, do you know what an apologist is? Yes. Okay. Would you mind explaining it to our listeners? An apologist and apologetics is somebody who, uh, in Christianity specifically, they kind of acknowledge the weakness of the arguments for Christianity, but they engage in a style of argument that uh, tries to make excuses for those weaknesses or 
uh, ignores the weak weaknesses in the arguments and says basically making they make a ends justify the means style argument. Precisely, uh, and this could so, be anything, not just Christianity. There's all sorts it, it can, of uh, yeah, apologists it, out there. Any but. sort of apologetics, it's usually making is blended with an ends justify the means style argument. Yes, or they try to throw up like a weak smokescreen apology or explanation for some inconsistency in what's being seen. Yes, in the Bible. They will make some uh, some kind of, and usually it's nonsense about why it exists. Yeah. Well, uh, and the interesting thing about the Bible is that it's so full of inconsistencies, and maybe that's why there's uh, a vast swath of apologetics uh, or apologists out there for this. And, right, just well, the, and just a super drastic like tone shift and kind of almost like – um, tenant shift between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right. A lot of the Old Testament is historical recordings of events and ideologies and fire and brimstone. at the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's recording their ideology. It's yeah, not yeah. really... They were, it was harsh times and people had very harsh attitudes about life. Yes. You know. So... Uh, I, let me go into uh, I don't know if it was the biggest kind of like laugh out loud moment of Lee Strobel's book. Uh, I'll let you judge that, Mike. And then I want to go into kind of like some of the stuff that I ended up learning through this because I did actually learn quite a bit. Uh, not necessarily from Lee Strobel himself, uh, other than that there are people out there that believe what he's typing at his computer at home. But uh, through the Counterpoint book and just having like a, a two experts, let's use kind of air quotes around one of the two people. <laughs> um, but, you know, two people that claim to be experts in this subject matter and having them kind of like having one explain why the other one is completely wrong. Um, and Can whether I ask not, you a quick question? Yes. Did you give the book against the book to your friend. I will save that for the end of this conversation. <laughs> I would love to hear the conversation that either has taken place or will take place. It has <laughs> already pay, taken place. There will be closure. <laughs> there will be. Mike is our first sponsor, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, we have gotten a nice Ashes sponsor. Uh, no, so th so this story in my mind is all resolved. It's all wrapped up. We have a, an epic conclusion or a non-epic conclusion, depending. I'm not giving anything away until we get to that point. I want to talk about the books first, some of the stuff that I learned, and then I will end cap it or bookend it with how it has been left between our friend and us. Okay. Uh, as a history major, Mike, going back to... Uh, We're going to drink mimosas in heaven. Yeah, it's I'm not sure if it was mimosas or if it was margaritas or it was one of those M, M drinks. But <laughs> regardless, like they don't have booze up there. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, unless you're Catholic. <laughs> Maybe. Sorry. I mean, like, you know, if Jesus is there, he just, you know, 
do some intravenous stuff and you got his his blood, which is wine. Right. There we go. You know, it reminds me of one of my, uh, uh, not one of my favorite like religious memes, but like it's definitely up there where it's like, you know, Jesus is addressing the 12 at the Last Supper. You know, take of this cup for it is my blood and this and this wine. And uh, and then he holds up the bread, you know, here's this bread and it is my body and partake of this. And then Jesus holds up the mayonnaise and uh, the disciples go, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. <laughs> naughty, naughty. I know. So anyway, this chapter was the one that kind of like, maybe maybe egregious is the right word to describe it. But I don't want to taint or sully your opinion coming in because unlike least trouble, I would like to be objective about about this. So what he did was he said, well, he tried to go through and say, like, okay, were the were the writers of the gospel truthful and honest, and and did Jesus actually exist, and what proof do we have, and and did he live there, and, and this, and so he was trying to pin down whether or not the the writers of the gospel were uh, truthful and honest. And uh, he's like, because, you know, they included some stuff that wasn't so, like, nice to themselves, right? Sure. Um, but he was operating under, under, the, uh, under the assumption that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they were written within 20, 30 years of Jesus' death. Okay. And that does not seem historically accurate. That is 100% not historically accurate. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all written by anonymous authors. And they were written, I don't know, 100-ish years past the events they depict. And there's... The explanation that I've heard over and over again is that it's between 80 and 130-ish years. They're not quite sure because... Well, I know. I picked 100 because it was kind of splitting the difference. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not sure because Christianity was like a cult. Yeah, an underground illegal cult. Yes, and um, and we'll get into some more of that kind of stuff here in a little bit. But um, you know, there's also evidence that uh, two, all of the 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 four main gospels uh, that they consider the main gospels, uh, that they kind of all kind of launched off of one, right? And yes. they just kind of further embellished what was in the first one. Yes. They are slightly different versions of the same story. Yes, and we don't have to get into all of that, all of that stuff. But so let's just, you know, I just had to explain that because Lee Strobel is is mounting his case under the assumption that Matthew sat down and literally wrote Matthew, and Mark sat down and literally wrote Mark, and so on and so forth. So he's trying to say, hey, look, are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, are they honest? Are they good recorders of history? And uh, and I'm not even going to talk about the census thing that nobody can find that called for whatever reason called Joseph and Mary back to their like ancestral home and not where they actually lived and they had to make this huge journey for some weird and bullshit that's reason not recorded by the Roman authorities even though it was their own territory. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and and what? like when when the United States does a census, I don't have to travel back to my birth town. Right? Like, I can just stay where I'm at because that's what makes sense for a census. And census polling hasn't really changed for eons. So, but anyway. It actually, it's counterproductive to a census to have people move around before the census. 
You want yes. to know where they're at now, not where you, they you, were. You know what? You and I know this. Uh, uh, apparently, <laughs> to the apologists, it was a different time back then, and this totally made sense. And I'm not – look, I'm not trying to rain on your parade uh, if you're a Christian and if you believe everything in the Bible. I'm, I'm really not trying to rain on your parade. Um, the whole point – the whole thing – it was very fascinating for me to read this book and to read the counterpoint book. And I did learn a lot about religion and, um, passing on the stories and how that stuff happens and, and how some of this stuff might have come about. Uh, and it's very fascinating. And I think if you're interested or if you're religious or if you're not religious, um, I would suggest reading both the case for Christ and the case against the case for Christ and starting with the chapter in case for Christ and then reading the, that chapter in the case against the case for Christ, and you can get kind of the point and counterpoint. And it was very, very fun uh, thought experiment for myself, but uh, I've been stalling enough. So here's, here's what his objective investigative journalist decided to ask. He was asking if these writers of the gospel were being honest. And uh, the guy he was interviewing, I don't remember who, but they were all apologists, through and through, said, well, yes, and we have archaeological proof that they were honest. Now, that, okay. doesn't, that, that doesn't raise any eyebrows for a history major, does it, Mike? Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if people could hear the tone of my voice. I heard the eyebrow go up. Uh, okay. I would like to see this evidence. Here we go. Here we Evidence. go. This 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 will blow you away and it will it will instantly convert you. Uh and then we're going to turn into a Christian podcast right after this episode. Oh, evangelical? Lutheran yes. or Okay. It doesn't matter. Okay. Uh it's all the same as long as you're in with the big JC, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, he was, you know, and he's and so Lee is trying to play the the skeptic card, but at this point He's already a, a pastor at a mega church, so he's already fully committed to his bit. Um, right, and and you know what? And just because Lee Strobel is an apologist doesn't mean that every Christian is an apologist. So there's also that, just as a caveat. I don't want somebody to say that our podcast needs to move to a different color state or something because we don't share the same values and we can't vote for five years, but. Um, <laughs> I can vote third party anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, Jesus. So, uh, so here's the archaeological proof. Okay, and here's uh, here's what they hung their entire uh, point of this chapter on. Is they said, well, okay, and uh, I don't. It doesn't matter. Pick pick one of the gospels, right? Pick one. And they were writing about this fountain or bath or something that had, I don't know, 12 or 13 columns. And like they described this, this like structure in, in pretty intricate detail, right? Okay. And nobody's, nobody's found it. And, and so they're like, well, okay, you know, it doesn't exist or whatever. They're just completely fabricating everything and yada, yada. Well, the archaeological evidence is they dug the thing up. And they found this like fountain or town square or whatever it was. And they had had the same amount of columns that they said in the gospel. So, ergo, everything in the gospel is true. And that was the argument that they made. And I, and I thought to myself, in that instant, I thought, 
Well, Independence Day is 100% true then because it took place in Washington, D.C., and I know that's a real place. Uh, so that has to be 100% true. That is right. Uh, right? Uh, Isn't that amazing? I can tell you that Pontius Pilate was really the governor of Judea as well. Yeah. So, I mean, but he never he, really he never was, made reference to Jesus. I don't think. Uh, not in any official recordings. No. <laughs> yeah, he had his old he had his old uh, wax cylinder, and yeah. he was laying down sick diss tracks about Jesus Christ. Right, and the uh, little festival that uh, was never mentioned any anything. Yeah. Either. Um, so, you know, it's like, that's your, that's your archaeological evidence that everything in the gospel is 100% true because they picked a, a landmark that was well known at the time. Like how many of our fiction books, like how many, like Harry Potter is true because it takes place in London partly. Uh, well, Anne Race, that was, that's what came to mind to me. She describes, yeah. uh, like New Orleans before the flood pretty well. Well, and I picked well, I picked Harry Potter because Christians hate Harry Potter because witches and and wizardry is a sin. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. You know, that. but it's like, but by that argument, then Harry Potter is also true because uh, London's real, and I've seen that station, that subway station, like it's literally there. Right. Uh, so you know, by that logic, there's a lot of true things that we all thought were were false. So. We have a big worldview reckoning now to take place well, because orders even has a little plaque in the station now. Yeah. So commemorating the brave wizards that went before. Yeah. God forbid that it gets buried in some horrible accident and then it gets unearthed 2000 years from now and they find that <laughs> man, future archeologists are going to have a hell of a time because they're going to find like these bodies of these dead, like gamer cat girls. Oh, yes. With, with those, like, butt plug tails and be like, was this, like, what was this for? Was this to help them balance or? No, they're just perverts. Like, <laughs> Yes. That's awesome. Uh, by the way, I don't want to break uh, our train of thought. Yeah, yeah. I am two inches into the cigar. Yeah. I still have the ash on it. Nice. Nice ash. Nice ash. And uh, it's lovely. Truly oh, it's, lovely. It's, it's, it's really great. But it reminds me of uh, the archaeologists who uncover the burial sites, and it's like it's like two dudes, right? And they can tell by the skeletal structure, and they're like, "Oh yeah, they must have been roommates, right? Gay right? lovers, yeah, they were gay but, lovers." But but you know, but they always say like, "Oh, I think they were roommates, or they were brothers, or something." And it's like, "Nah, they probably weren't, though." You know? Yeah. Who the, who fucking knows? <laughs> they they died at the same time. So that that chapter really kind of like threw me for a loop, and I was like, okay, I'm reading some like serious hardcore fiction right now because that's not really how how proving something works. Like this place existed, they wrote about this place that existed, therefore everything else they mentioned is is then true, right? And it's like uh, no, it's and, not and, how uh, reality works. Yeah, and speaking about the uh, discrepancies in the timing of the writing of the Gospels versus the timing of the alleged crucifixion of Jesus, uh, he did spend considerable uh, printer ink on talking to experts who said, well, most conservative people say within 30 to 40 years of his death, but I've got evidence that it's probably within 10. And then they pull out some weird, like, because of the fountain thing or because of that thing. And it's like, but they're all operating under the assumption that these, the, the, the people that are, 
that the gospels are named after actually wrote them. Right. And, you know, a fountain, I mean, in modern times, we don't think, especially in America, we don't think of things like a fountain being something that was built and it was intended to be there for a thousand years. But when you build a fountain out of stone and your population is static, it was intended to be built basically for the duration. However long people are going to live there, that fountain is supposed to operate. It was intended to run for 500 years. Yeah. So if they did write it, let's say 120 years after Christ, the fountain is still there and working probably identically in every single way uh, to what it was like 120 years before. Technology didn't change that fast. And even if it wasn't, it would still have been a story, right? Because fountains are supposed to last. So if the fountain is no longer there, they'd be like, oh man, you remember that sweet, sick fountain that was in that town? Like, yeah, that was badass. And, you know, it'd still be like within the, you know, because you know what? I don't know if a hundred years after 9-11, we're still going to be talking about the trade towers. I mean, they're ugly, you know, but it was the events that surrounded them and we'll still be talking about it. So it's still going to be a historical thing. So, you know, but then guess what? A thousand years beyond 9-11, nobody's going to be talking about 9-11. But if you were going to go do like a fan fiction piece or something or a fictional piece set in 2001... You'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, I remember, like, you just do, like, Google search. Okay, yep, yep, there were some the Twin Towers, and they fell. And you just, like, write that, and then somebody would be like, oh, man, he was totally there because he wrote about that thing that was there. Like, I can verify those things were there. Um, right. But, you know, it was, and it was, a lot of it was word of mouth back then, right? Like, writing was cumbersome and time-consuming, and you had to have all this, like, super thick paper and papyrus or, or what have you. And so a lot of it was oral tradition, but people have done studies on the Bible and they can tell because everybody has their own unique writing style. And sure, nowadays you can emulate somebody else's writing style. Like you could pretend you're writing like as Stephen King and probably get pretty close. Um, but unless you're an expert who's, who specialized in like writing styles and writing voices, you know, like, somebody would be able to tell it wasn't actually Stephen King. You know, they'd be like, well, he, they use too many like thes, or they use too many of, of this. And it's very, very close. But I'd have to say with these discrepancies, it's not Stephen King writing this book. You know what I mean? Right. Or even if you have like an AI try and write a Stephen King book, an expert in the written language would be able to analyze and say, I don't think this was Stephen King. It's very close, but I don't think it was. And people have analyzed the Gospels and um, tried to collect, corrupt, collect, fuck. Yeah, corroborate. Um, Stuff that they know that some of these people have written and it just doesn't match up. And some of the, some of the Gospel books have two distinct writing voices. So they know it was written by two different people. And, you know, it's just, and if you believe, it doesn't matter because you could say, well, it's all oral tradition passed down. So if it was 100 years after, 200 years after, it doesn't matter. It's still the gospel according to God and the Holy Ghost, like, help them write it or, you know, what, whatever, however you want to explain it. Are these, oh, they never, this, I confront the fact that the Bible is an edited 
work that was created by a council of elites uh, on purpose to like codify the religion. Then it's over. It's overseen by a council, and every time there's a new translation or new update, not like update, but like a new edition, or like new footnotes or or whatever. And when there's new, um, and they actually they voted on which uh, there's a big, and that was part of, and they never talked about it in the case for Christ, but in the case against the case for Christ, he was talking about the uh the council that actually voted on which gospels got included because you know there's like the gospel of ruth and there's other other gospels out there uh that they they elected to not include and other writings council of, of nicaea I believe. yes and uh and then what a lot of them seem to forget is the reason that the king james version is the most popular version is because king james was an absolute lunatic and ordered all copies of the Bible collected and burned, and then he put out his version of the Bible. And that's why we have the King's James Version, and we don't really have many other versions of the Bible, uh, at least the Christian Bible. Not in English. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and that was kind of the other thing is, like, Lee Strobel was saying, like, well, this word in Greek means this or that, and the case against the case for Christ is like, well, I don't know what word uh, uh, Professor Strobel was reading, but... Uh, I have like a doctorate in Greek studies and this is what the word actually means. <laughs> so, you know, I mean like, so Robert was a little sassy with his critique of, of uh, Lee, but I guess if you're, if you've been educated in the new Testament and you speak the languages and you devoted your life to it and somebody like Lee Strobel comes along and publishes something that says, well, because the fountain was there, uh, Jesus also was there. You would be a little upset too. So, right. Interesting. So that's that's that. I mean, there's some other there's some other things in there that we could maybe like delve into, but I don't really want to get into huge like book review because you didn't read either of them. Uh, but you are a history major, so I, I figured you'd be able to give enough input on some of uh, what Lee Strobel claims to be facts. Well, I know that uh, the fountain probably there's a there's a an argument style. I wouldn't call it argument style. There's like a, a line of research where they try to corroborate events in the Bible to see what's true and what's not. Yeah. And there's a list, and I, I don't know how many things are there, but um, scholars have come up with a list of things written in the Bible that they believe the preponderance of the evidence says are true. And it's basically things that either are corroborated with outside uh, sources or things that happen in the Bible that are mentioned in a context that would lead you to believe that it's true, right? Yeah. And uh, almost none of them involve Jesus directly, yeah. right? <laughs> and that was uh, – so that was one of the other, like, key takeaways because – so Robert Price doesn't believe Jesus ever existed, mm-hmm. at least in the form. And so they talk about – well, and even Lee Strobel is trying to to draw the distinction between like the gospel Jesus and the historical Jesus, and he, but he's trying to reconcile the two, and um, and so Robert Price basically says that you know through his studies, and he doesn't go into huge detail because he's in this book he's just refuting Lee Strobel. He's not really laying his case out for whether Jesus did or didn't exist. Sure. But but he you know he gave enough little things where it's like you know the the reality of, of it is is that the early church probably picked 
some wandering pastor, right? Some wandering minister, some wandering whatever preacher and kind of like invented or co-opted part of their life into the Jesus myth and use that as the basis for uh, similarities between Jesus and religious figures out of India and out of China. Yeah. And there's a lot of similarities between the religious stories in the Bible and religious stories in other uh, religious works. So, Uh, and especially paganism. And there was actually a chapter in this book where Lee Strobel was trying to claim that Christianity happened before paganism and paganism is stealing from Christianity. What? I, 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 I shit you not, my man. That is insanity. How, what? So what, ha- what was, what existed before Christianity then? It was, uh, it, well, it was Christianity because it was so the Old Testament. Were they all atheists pre-Christianity? Because God God invented everything, right? He created everything, and that was Christianity. And then he sent his only son, and uh, the rest is history. And everybody else is a poser and a copycat. It is my understanding that early Judaism was a small cult in the Mesopotamian world and the very first Jews believed that Yahweh was one of the gods in the pantheon of the Mesopotamian god systems. And that is why there are so many references to the Mesopotamian gods in uh, the Old Testament. Because if you read it and you know what you're looking for, they mention the moon goddess and they mentioned the God of war and they mentioned all these other Mesopotamian gods. Yeah. Explain, you know, giving detail and richness thing. They're name dropping the other gods from the Mesopotamian pantheon. Now we yeah. don't really, you know, who the f- knows who these people are. I don't know the name moon goddess, you know? No. Yeah. I mean, using I don't... It. yeah. So, you know, and it's just, it's ridiculous stuff like that where it's like, you know, look, you can believe what you want to believe. If, like me, you wanted to believe but didn't believe and then went out and tried to research this on your own, you know, early days of the internet and talking with other groups that were religious and had strong faiths and still not getting the answer and still getting the runaround. Like with some of these questions that I was asking, you know, because I'd, I'd ask like, so like, you know, in the Old Testament, God, God straight up says like, I'm a jealous God. Well, that implies the existence of other gods. Like the, that there might be gods out but there that no are jealous. no other God me. Right? So, you know, but I, but I would ask these questions. They'd be like, well, no, no, he's just, he's just saying like, you know, he's jealous. I'm like, well, but he tells us not to be jealous. So like, what's that about? Like, isn't he perfect? And is, is jealousy being imperfect? So, like, what's what's going on? Well, they don't like those questions. Yeah. Why can't the God of the universe forgive? <laughs> Why was he so angry in half of the book? And then he was, like, super chill. I mean, not. I mean, he still wasn't super chill. Don't get me wrong. But why did he mellow out in the second half of the book? Yeah. Know? Weirdly, this, the story happened in... Yeah, uh, a massive empire where there was uh, order. <laughs> yeah, and the first half of the book happened in like a fucking war zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, 
that's the explanation, but why would God need to change or why would God's attitude change just because of the, you know, conditions on the ground temporarily? Yeah. Or like <laughs> he made people, but then he decided to wipe them all out except for one dude in this boat. Right. Yeah, like, this one dude's family. Come on, man. It's a little weird. Yeah, and also it doesn't make any like evolutionary sense because then we'd all be like deformed. Right? Probably. Like you can't from two people like even from Adam and Eve from two people you just can't. Like I'm sorry. Yeah, there's a lot of weird questions, you know. Where where are the daughters of Adam and Eve? Why how did one of the children of Adam and Eve get banished and then had children? Where did this woman that is where how how did that work? Yeah. How can a banished son have children? When there's one I mean maybe 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 he was a they. I don't know. I don't know. Uh but anyway <laughs> I mean, so there's like, so there's all these questions, right? And just, it's like, and 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 the, and the other thing is, um, the line that kind of gets quoted the most for people that are like, "Well, was Jesus really the Son of God? Because why would he, why would he shout into the sky? Why have you forsaken me? If he knew he was going to get crucified, which he alleged multiple times before he was actually crucified." Like, why would he scream into the sky, like, Father, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. If if he knew and believed in all of that. Um, but I think that only happens in one of the Gospels, one of the four Gospels. It's not in every Gospel. Uh, and there's a huge amount of discrepancy between when he, who he reveals himself to after coming back from the dead. You know, and one of them, it's just the women and one of them, there's no guards there. And one of them, there are guards there. And one of them, it's the disciples, you know. So, just kind of like all that to say, and I'm not trying to tear down Christianity. All of this is to say for Lee Strobel to try and write a book, trying to come in as an atheist investigative journalist, he sure asked some pretty softball pitch questions to all of these people. and. I don't think he fully understood the scope of the discrepancies within the Bible, which most Christians will tell you if they've read the Bible and if they're open-minded and you say, and they're like, Hey, why are you atheist? I'm like, well, okay. I mean, there's this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, yep, I struggle with those parts too. And here's how I kind of rationalize it to myself. But I understand if you can't, because it's a huge leap. It's a leap of faith, you know? Um, and, And that's kind of where I was like, I'm not sure what Lee Strobel is trying to do with this book because it's certainly not going to convert people to Christianity. And that's when I kind of uh, came to the conclusion that the case for Christ is not for atheists and it's not for Jews and it's not for Muslims and it's not for, uh, you know, Buddhists. It's for Christians who are struggling with their own faith. And it's for Christians who are finding themselves having difficult conversations with people in the general population who have access to the internet and know how to do research. That's who this book is aimed at. Like this book is supposed to sharpen your, your tool belt as a Christian. So you can combat some of these negative things people say about our religion. Yeah. A a lot of the evangelicals, uh, I'm not an atheist and we have discussed that before. Um, but I'm very critical of evangelical Christianity. I view it as a scam largely. And I think that this uh, person 
knowing that he's a mega church pastor gives me uh because like i say i i just view a lot of mega pastors as scammers yeah uh, it's been proven that many of them in fact are scammers actively yes yep i'm sure that there's one or two that are not trying to actively manipulate people but yeah. uh you know the faith healers and the this and that and the other thing is definitely a, a scam and i don't know all of them but i know we talked about tammy faye and i think you know, just to briefly recap, uh, she was a huge scammer through her husband. And I think once she kind of realized that, she broke away and she was the first person to, like, give somebody with AIDS a hug on live TV. Um, so she's done some really good work, I, I think. Right? Right. Um, but that was after she kind of had the wool pulled away from her eyes and realized what her husband was doing. And I'm not saying she wasn't um, an accomplice for a lot of time, but, you know, who knows? I think she tried to make some retributions for that. Um, and that's the only one I really have experience with. Oh, I watch, I watch a YouTube Telltale. Okay. And uh, he is a converted Jehovah's Witness, a former Jehovah's Witness. Okay. And his channel focuses mainly on the extreme Christian type stuff and his criticism of them. <laughs> yeah. And it's hilarious. Mostly mega church types, you know? Yeah. And I, uh, strongly dislike the mega church pastors. No. And I strongly dislike the mega church pastors too. And it was interesting because, um, I wanted to check, right? Because the whole premise of the book is an atheist investigative journalist searches to find out if Jesus was real. Right. And, you know, of course the book says why, why yes, Jesus was real. And the last chapter is how can you find Jesus faster kind of thing? And like, where can you give your money to find Jesus and where can you worship to find Jesus and all, you know, like all of his mega church bullshit. Uh, but you know, if you, if you, Look at the publishing date on the inside page of the book. And I had the movie edition, right? Because they made a movie out of this book for somehow. I don't know how. <laughs> but they did. Like, so why wouldn't they? There, There's not a whole lot of, you know. Dude, there is a huge Christian movie market. Yeah. Uh, it's insane. Let's write one. We'll write one together. I we totally could, dude. Yeah, we'll call it like how the snake lost his legs or something, yeah, and it'll so, be a, a I mean, yeah. it'll be a POV from the from the snake, and so you can kind of like you can kind of peek under Eve's like fig leaf just enough to get the Christians like hot and bothered, oh, but yeah. not so hot and bothered that they boycott the film. Yeah, we get Hercules to come in, and he can play. Yeah, whoever. Uh, we'll make Eve. Uh, you know what? We'll make Eve something appealing to the Christians, and we'll make her like twelve. Uh, and then they'll be sexually attracted to her. Naughty. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry. I don't mean to be offending a whole bunch of Christians. Um, I just, like, Lee Strobel, I guess, is is fairly uh, divisive. <laughs> so you're either, like, on his side or he's just a complete and utter hack. Um, yes. Oh, so anyway, if you, if you look at the inside flap, you can see the published dates. So you see, like, the, the first published date, right, of the book. And then you can see, like, this edition published date. And then all you have to do to figure out where he's writing from in his headspace is go to his Wikipedia page because it tells you the date that he accepted the 
the pastorship at the megachurch, which was well before this book was ever published, like four years before this book was published. And the other thing is, I don't get what it is about Christians wanting to read a book about a converted atheist. Like, I was an atheist, but then I found Jesus. And they're like, I will pay you a million dollars to read this book. It's like some kind of weird fan fiction for them. It is, a, you know, uh, it, it is a fetish. Uh, yeah. It's kind of like the, it's like the, oh, what's his name? Dave Rubin effect, right? Like I'm, I was a homosexual liberal and now I'm a homosexual conservative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, a weird. It's a very weird. It's not healthy. It's interesting. It is Probably. a thing, though, for sure. Oh, it's yeah. It's kind of like um, gay conversion that it goes on. I, yeah. I I watched a video from uh, some damn comp, a bunch of people who were clearly homosexuals who were saying they weren't anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, you're still a homosexual. I don't know how to tell you this, but. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that you're a homosexual and hear that you're a homosexual. Say whatever you need to say, but... Um, yeah, you did not get yeah. rid of your homosexual thoughts, my friend. Yes. <laughs> uh, you may have consciously forced them out, or you're like consciously not acting on them anymore, but, I mean, they're still there. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Very so, interesting. So, so, like, you know, some things you can change uh, in life and about yourself. And some things you can't, you know, and some things you shouldn't, you know, but. Yeah, some things we'll just, about yourself you just have to learn to live with. And yeah, moderate. and you know what, we'll, you know what, we'll just leave that there. Um, right. So, anyway, it was a very interesting thought experiment. And, uh, oh, so they were saying that they, the early writers kind of maybe based the Jesus character, you know, and they knew they were creating a fictional character. Um, but to them, it wasn't it wasn't so much a deception, right? They needed somebody to embody their tenets, and it was kind of like understood, I guess, in that era where it was kind of, you know, it's like the myths, right? Like Hercules right. or um, Sisyphus rolling the boulder up the hill, or uh, well, when you read Herodotus or Livy, you have to take the stories with a grain of salt. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a lot of the history that was written was supposed to be allegorical. It wasn't yes. supposed to be, and, and that was and that was exactly the point of the the case against the case for Christ was the writings, the gospel writings, clearly matched that allegorical hero style of other right. allegorical hero style writings of the time, and so for anybody to actually sit there and think that it was one hundred percent true, like even at the time. Probably that probably didn't happen, you know. They knew it wasn't literally true. It's Herodotus. It's really fascinating that we're finding more archaeological evidence for Herodotus because for a long time, a lot of his history was just kind of discounted as mythological. Yeah, and we're finding evidence of the Amazons, and we're finding evidence of uh, not Atlantis in a literal sense, but there's some pretty advanced technology uh, in Egypt that he might have been yeah. taught. You know what I mean? It's not yeah, like yeah. literal, fancy, our idea of Atlantis type of stuff. But. Yeah. 
Well, it was interesting because uh, Sarah and I went to the Egypt Sunken City exhibit that was here at the, uh, I think it was at MIA, the Minneapolis Institute of Art. And they they brought in all these things and they had a full boat that they uncovered from the sea outside of Egypt. And it was this lost, uh, lost port city. And, uh, but the reason why it was so contested was because it went by two different names. And so the, everybody thought it was two different cities. Uh, but it turns out if you were Greek, you called it one name. And if you're Egyptian or whatever, you call it the other name. Right. And they uncovered it and they uncovered all these things. And, you know, it was all in the sea and it was very fascinating. And they found like this tablet that had, you know, four different languages on it or something, almost like a Rosetta Stone kind of thing. And there was like plaques and, and stuff. And so they had all these, um, they're like, yep. So in the, uh, it was a, it was a city of religious freedom. And so they had statues of the Greek gods and the Roman gods and the Egyptian gods and they all coexisted. And then they said the Christians came down and threw all of the religious statues into the sea and put up their own. Uh, so they wouldn't allow any, opposing religious views. So I guess even back then they were kind of dicks to other religions. Right. Yeah. Iconoclasm was uh, rampant. Yeah. Which is, yeah, I'm I'm against it. (laughs) Pretty easy thing to be against. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, I I don't know. I mean, I guess it sounds like we're really bashing Christianity and I, I, I'm not, that's not really my intent. uh, Cause it's very, Uh, it's a fascinating history. The and apologetics of whoever yeah. a megachurch pastor. Well, and the people <laughs> and the people that um, don't have open minds, and that's true of anybody. You know, like a football team, a political view, uh, any anything. You know, foods you like or don't like. Uh, it, it, the evangelicals. Uh, the ones that are out there trying to convert, 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 and you have to believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell, and we're not going to have a Moses in heaven. You know, those kinds of people, by and large, uh, if that's their sole purpose in life, is to make other people feel bad because they don't believe what they believe, then that's bad. But that that's, I don't know, it's it's very distinct in Christians, or it can be, and maybe that's a bad rap Christianity has. Uh, because the people that are those, those types are so vocal, you know, it's a very vocal minority, but I know it's not indicative of the entire Christian, Christian, uh, beliefs. So I oh, just no. want, I wanted to make that clear again. Like it's Methodists uh, this, aren't going out there and like, yeah, rabble rousing largely. You know? So this is not the war on Christmas. This, this episode, I'm just, <laughs> this is, this is my thought experiment uh, on this. So I think I'm halfway Maybe a little I'm more. I'm over halfway. Okay, maybe maybe a bit more. I've been I've been talking more. So I have three inches left. Holy <laughs> shit! Okay, so I'm double that. But I'll uh, I'll puff. So you must be liking it then, Mike. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, very good. Yeah, it's very great. Very the uh, the uh, airflow is great. Change for me. No, uh, but it doesn't need to because this is <laughs> solid. I really, you know what? I didn't know if I would like it. Uh, He's in the in the store, and he's like, "Oh yeah, you just twist the pigtail off. There's a hole." And I'm like, "What?" In my mind, I was like, "What?" I didn't say that to him. I wasn't sure about it, but I'm digging it. It's good. Um, and I love spicier that they, too, by the way. Yeah, and I love that they f- they folded over the leaf over the end. Oh yeah, that was a really nice touch. 
It's uh, like I say, it's surprisingly uh, full-bodied and spicy. I like it. Yeah, not crazy spicy, but it's oh good. no, it's it's just enough, just enough. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not sweet. You know, a lot of Connecticut's, I guess, are sweet. And he called this one a medium uh, body Connecticut. So, really, but it's, I, it's, I would well for a Connecticut. It, it's, I mean, for a Connecticut, yeah, it's not going to go against a full-bodied Maduro or something, but no. Um, so I think you know the medium body was not medium body Connecticut, but just medium body for a cigar in general, right? But yeah, I'm digging it. No, it's really good. It's good. It's and it's not terribly expensive. And um, I didn't even check uh, check online to see if you can get these in bulk, but I'm sure you can. Yeah, possibly. I'll, I'll look. For, I'll look for it. Because um, I think Let's they've got see. other sticks too. Uh, but this oh, one, Christophe? this one's good. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They make a bunch of stuff. They're, they're uh, a reputable comp- uh, company. So yeah, very interesting. So. Did you uh, give the opposing book to your friend? I did not. And I've got a couple reasons of why. uh, First off, does that surprise you? Uh, I don't want to say that it surprises me, but it does make me sad. It does make me sad. Yeah, and it might make you sad, and it would make probably a younger me sad. Um, I'm trying to be a little less confrontational with people. Sure. Uh, in my life, just in general, um, because it doesn't really do do me any good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I could I could sit there and and say like, here's all the reasons why Jesus never existed, or why Lee Strobel is a mega church whore. And on and on, but it's not really going to do anything for me. It's not going to change my life any, um, you know, and two, it's like, you know, do I want to, do I want to start like a war with a, with a friend, you know, but I didn't, but I didn't hold back either. Really. I wrote, I wrote a response letter and mailed it to them. It was, it was interesting because I had some friends read, uh, the original letter and my response letter. And uh, I got some uh, positive feedback. You know, in the letter, uh, they said something like, you know, they said like drinking mimosas in heaven. And then they blamed my atheism on my dad's divorce because I had told them that after the divorce, my dad found Jesus again and was trying to talk to me about Jesus, and he t- and he and he said, "If you don't want to hear about any of this, you can tell me to stop at any time." And I said, "Stop right now." And so they felt that um, because my dad didn't handle trying to introduce me to to Jesus uh, very well, that that's the whole reason. And so basically, I just said, "Look, you know, I grew up Lutheran, and I never really believed it, and I saw the people in church believing it, and I just didn't." And so when I went to college, I joined voluntarily a Bible study. And I was doing a, a kind of a mini like book club with a friend who was the daughter of a pastor and very Christian. And we read all like the screw tape letters, uh, mere Christianity. We read, um, how oh, there's one other one about a Christian, uh, singer who died in a plane crash and his wife wrote this biography of him. And that was very fascinating. 
And so I was like, I was actively trying to do research and like figure out how I could make this make sense for my life. And it was, it was, uh, Chariots of the Gods, um, Von Daniken. And he's a, he's a known criminal and, uh, and a fraud and a hack. But he is a Catholic or was a Catholic and a devout Catholic. And he believed that by writing his book, saying that all the miracles in the Bible were aliens, uh, that he was still a devout Catholic. And I didn't really believe that everything that happened in the Bible was aliens, but I believed it more than I believed it being some kind of omnipotent, invisible person in the sky. And that was kind of what triggered or set, you know, like set me like, oh, if I can believe like aliens more than I can believe an invisible person in the sky, maybe I'm not religious, you know, like that's kind of what was the catalyst. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, you've you've said you've told me that before, and I, I it's an interesting way to break away from Christianity for sure. Unexpected. Everybody's yeah. Everybody who quote unquote loses, and uh, typically it involves doing personal research. Yeah. So yeah, and I was actually trying to prove prove my faith, um, which ended up having the opposite effect. But it kind of led me to believe that I never had that faith, and it just took that long to realize it. Right. You know, like yeah. I don't, I don't feel like I changed any other than like acknowledging what I was not acknowledging, I guess. Right. Yeah, I, you know, I lost faith way before I left high school. I was an atheist, I think, when I went into college. Okay. Going in. And it was, uh, I went to church camp for like seven years and I went to catechism and all that. Yep. It was the process of learning about the history of the Catholic church and Christianity that led me to believe that it was just, a uh, a scam. Yeah. Wealthy people to control poor people. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I didn't really become, uh, Unitarian until I got older and I continued to do research about other religions, religions other than Christianity. Yeah. Personal psychedelic experiences and other things of that nature. <laughs> uh, allegedly. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, which is something that is, you can't make a book about, right? Like that's, just uh, what I have experienced thus far. There's definitely some magic out there. Yeah. Um, magic in my own mind, not not necessarily. It's not even necessarily real. It's real enough for me, I guess. Yeah. Well, and, you know, there are so many unexplained things out there still to this day. Sure. And and uh, I don't know. who Who's right? Is it uh, mysticism? Is it uh, quantum physics is it science is it you know it could be it could be anything you know and i've got my uh, thoughts on what will explain it and other people have their thoughts but the fact of the matter is there's no proof yet so right yeah you know. I, I know i i know i've told you this before but if you go far enough into the woods alone you know you will meet the fairies out there yep <laughs> Yeah, we talked about that in our uh, hunting episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, it, it is true. I mean, it's not like literally you're talking to fairies or anything weird like that, but. 
No. You start to see like the magic of uh, being alone in the forest. Our yeah. ancestors wrote about. <laughs> you know, like, yep. Obviously that grew into fanciful tales with time, but there's definitely some interesting things out there. Oh yeah. So yeah. Unique. I, I, yeah, it all depends on how aggressive you, I didn't expect you to have written a letter to your friend about it. Um, well, they wrote me a letter with the book, and um, sure. So, and I read it on ebook, and it was a little bit more money than I wanted to spend to get a copy of it to send to them, only to have them not read it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I guess they expected me to read what they gave me, and it was just, and it was just because I got that one email that said you should read the opposing viewpoint. That's the only reason I read it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have. Um, so it was a very slim margin that I even read it or chose to read it. And I just knew I could just tell, and maybe I'm not, maybe I'm doing them a disservice, but I could just kind of tell that they were not going to read something, the case against the case of Christ, because I know that they, and, and honestly, I don't know if they've read the case for Christ. I think they just heard it was an atheist who found God and, and sent it to me. I don't think that they, I don't think that they actually read it. Possibly. Well, like you, I you say, know. it was a good opportunity and still possibly is. Yeah. To be like, not only did I read it, I was so interested in reading it. I read the book that was written in opposition to this book. Oh, no. I mentioned that in my letter. <laughs> I went into, I mean, it was probably like two page letter. I didn't, I mean, I didn't go into like huge detail, but I did mention that I read. Uh, one chapter in the case of Christ, and then the opposing chapter in the case against the case of Christ, sure. and then I di- and then I did tell I did I was a little snarky, and I said my favorite part in the case of Christ is when he said that the fountain thing existed, so therefore everything was true, and I I, I don't remember if I referenced like Independence Day or Harry Potter or something, but I you know I made a little like cheeky comment about that where it was like this is not really historical fact, right. So, uh, this is but, a total- I, but I tried to be diplomatic about it. You know what right. I mean? Like just kind of yeah. like diplomatic, but firm. Like I read it. It's, it was important to me to read this. We're still friends and I value our friendship. I'm still not a Christian. I looked up online, this cigar and you can get it online and it's about nine fifty a stick for the Churchill, which is what we smoked. Okay. Yeah. Or what we're smoking. And that's um, right in line with uh, the Rocky Patel Vintage Series that we had. Okay, yeah. 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 And uh, some of the bigger edges, you know. Yeah. Which are, this This is every bit as good as a Rocky Patel. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so. this, is, this is fantastic. No, it's very good. Oh, yeah, I did want to mention one other thing that I added. And I added some Bible scriptures in my letter as well. Not in like not to not to be in like a condescending way, uh, but I know that that's kind of what they trade in. Yeah, you know, I wanted to reference because if if they value our friendship so much that they want to smuggle booze into heaven, then I wanted to like reference something about that. And so I said, it's like you know, I don't know for sure if there is or isn't a god, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe I'll be surprised. Who knows? But there's the whole thing with the unborn children or the the kids who die 
uh, before you can like talk to them or, you know, tell them about Jesus and do they go to hell because they never knew Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get into the whole, like, you know, uh, a lot of like Lutherans and stuff baptize babies right away when they're born, because if you're baptized, then you can get to heaven. But Baptists wait until they're adults and they choose baptism because you have to choose Jesus. And like, you can get into that whole thing, but, uh, you know, the, the prevailing like Christian thing is people who haven't, haven't had the opportunity to hear about Jesus still have the opportunity to get into heaven. Right. And there's a couple, like a couple of bits. Uh, oh, and the, the scripture that I quoted, I think it was from Matthew and he was talking about um, Sodom and Gomorrah and God or Jesus was saying that, um, that they're they're They will be a lot more lenient on the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah than they were on the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, that God basically nuked into oblivion. Mm-hmm. If, if you believe the story. And so, you know, my whole point was I'm just trying to live the best life that I can live and be the best person that I can be. And if that's not enough for your God, then that's not really on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, uh, ah, you know, it's hard to, I mean, I'm not trying to sound like a dick. I hope that didn't come off as like dickish, but right. You know, you well, can only, it's easy to shit on Christians. You can do uh, you can do as, as good in, in your life as you can, you know. Right. And you can and you can constantly try and improve. But if that's not enough for some like omnipotent being, I guess I'm sorry for that. Well, it's a it's a common theme in our country, uh, especially for the hardcore Christians to use their religion as an excuse for bad behavior. Yeah. And uh, it's very easy to point that out. <laughs> uh, you know, I, like I say, growing up Catholic, the sins of the church are unbelievable. <laughs> you know? yeah. Unbelievable to the point where uh, the modern church largely exists to protect criminals who are members of the church. And it's been that way forever. The Borgias were that way, you know? Yeah. The Medicis were that way. It's not like it's a new phenomenon. No, and it's not uh, not really a secret Mm-mm. for those who know how to research. It's not a secret to the people who are members of the church. There's huge cynicism amongst Catholics yeah. about the Catholic Church itself. It's very interesting. But, of course, around here, it's all cafeteria Catholics. There's- yeah. Well, and those are probably the most common. Oh, yeah. Especially an organization that's that large. Yeah. Well, and maybe for any religion, you know, and it's like the the pastor, if they're a, a firecracker of a pastor, they'll try and guilt you into being more evangelical. But I think by and large, and just like with politics, like by and large, the majority are just trying to live a good life. I hope so. I mean, not not politicians because they don't give a fuck. But you know, like most most people, like whether they're like they consider themselves like a staunch Republican or a staunch Democrat. But you take some of those some of those like ideology quizzes online, right? And most of them come back like, "Oh, you're a little left of middle, or you're a little right of middle." You know, like there's a reason it's called the middle because that's where the majority of people are. You know. Uh, but they get riled up by the evangelicals, whether it's a political evangelical or a religious evangelical. 
Right. Now, the extreme cases, online videos about anything. It's They're going to take edge cases and try to get y'all worked up about it. Yeah. It's entertainment. And I would consider church to be uh, an entertainment industry largely. Yeah. It's just like the news. Mm-hmm. It's the fear mongering, you know. It bleeds, it leads. Yeah. So. Uh, so. I want to talk about snowmobilers. Okay. Because uh, due to the uh, snow. And this happened a while ago. Okay. Uh, snowmobilers always fuck with property. Uh, you've Have you ever seen Mad Max uh, Road Warrior? <laughs> have you ever yes. seen the Road Warrior? Yes. Okay. The way I look at snowmobilers is uh, like the gang in the Road Warrior. You know, they're yep. just riding around in their snowmobiles, vandalizing, stealing stuff, doing drugs, and having homosexual sex out in the woods. That's kind of their MO. And yeah. Everything that I see. That's one of the main reasons I never got into snowmobiling. Well, I'm not into most of that. <laughs> <laughs> this the se- the sex of the gangs for sure, but the vandalizing is <laughs> where I draw the line. Exactly. Exactly. But I, I went over to my parents' place and this fucking snowmobilers went through their yard, you know. <laughs> Here they go through. But a couple weeks ago, some snowmobiler... Yeah. Jumped my road approach and hit my wooden fence. Okay, <laughs> and it's fucking dented. And the, it's the the one dipped. you haven't the one you haven't taken down the Christmas wreaths from for like five years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably did you a favor, buddy. Yep, yep. They dented that cedar post and okay. it's tipped now. <laughs> they had to have damaged their sled. Oh, hilarious! Undoubtedly, yeah. Oh my god, I can't believe it. But yeah, they jumped my road approach and hit my fucking fence. And I was like, God damn it! <laughs> I'm gonna have to try to push it in the in the spring. You know, oh the yeah, is still soft. <laughs> Did yeah. they leave a uh, visit our congregation pamphlet or something? Or oh no, no, no. this is no, just they- a random aside. It's a random aside. Okay. I, it makes me so mad because uh, they knock, obviously they knock the snow into the driveway and I have to go out there and chisel it out with a shovel. And Yeah. We said God. you were calming down though. You were all riled up <laughs> and you said you were calming down. Mm-hmm. I am calming down. I'm, I'm pretty calm about it. <laughs> but yeah, it's just every year, every yeah. year. We haven't had any like super far into the property from what I can tell. Okay. They kind of stayed within, oh, I don't know, 150 feet of the road. And that's yeah. good. But one year, oh, one year they went out into the woods, came in and did a bunch of shitties or whatever in my yard. Okay. And then went back down my driveway to the road. <laughs> They're just vandals, those guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, like, uh, what, there's not enough trail out there for for them to do stuff? <laughs> I know. I know. 
I know. It's crazy. We had a guy, oh, this had to have been four years ago, hopped up on meth, drove his car into the driveway, blasted through the yard, and then plowed through my neighbor's fence and drove through his cattle field and then out onto the road on the other side. (laughs) And it reminds me of the snowmobilers. It's just he did it in a car. It's the Yeah. So there is somebody out there that did a lot of damage to their sled on my fence. Yep. <laughs> and like I say, they dented that cedar log. I couldn't believe the dent in it. <laughs> yep. That's pretty hardcore. <laughs> oh, man. I-, I couldn't do that with a sledgehammer. I mean, you'd have, <laughs> no. to, hit, you'd have to hit it hard a lot yeah, of times. Yeah. <laughs> That's, say, 120 miles per hour. Mm hmm. So. Uh, oh, I got a quick question for you. Are you cool. are you uh, are you completely done with your cigar? No, I am not. Okay. Um, is your little uh, pigtail hole kind of expanding? Yes. Okay, mine is too. I just uh, yep, it's getting weak on the edges, but nothing's coming out. Yeah, so. no, nothing's coming out. I just uh, noticed it was kind of getting getting a little larger. Uh, gaping uh, might be the term. Oh, jeez. But uh, I'll have to put an explicit uh, tag on this. I one. put explicit tags on all of our episodes. That's probably wise. Yeah, <laughs> because um, you know, like what uh, I just think, like, well, what if I don't put one on there and then I missed us saying fuck once, and then somebody gets upset about it? Right. So I'll just mark them all as explicit, so then we don't really have to worry about self self censoring on the podcast. Well, life is explicit, you know. Life is explicit. Uh, one of my favorite uh, punk lyrics is, um, you were never a virgin, you were fucked from the start. <laughs> That's a, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's that. actually on a uh, concept album by this punk group, and it's set in the Civil War. Uh, and the album is called The Monitor. Which was the uh, Civil War submarine that the South had, and the band is called Titus Andronicus, so they are well read because that's a Shakespeare play. So nice, heck yeah! Oh, it's great. I uh, back on to Christians. Yeah, yeah I worked yeah. with a very hardcore Mormon, very conservative Mormon. And like conservative is in only three wives instead of four, or. No, nah, he had one wife, but he was okay. like definitely a believer. Um, yeah, yeah. And one day he showed up and he was drinking an energy drink. And they can't Adam. do caffeine. Well, uh, uh, all right. Adam, I'll let you finish your story. Adam, you're drinking caffeine. I thought Mormons weren't allowed to do that. He's like, oh, no, they, they just came out with a new thing and you can drink cold caffeine. You just can't drink hot caffeine. So I was like, okay. what the and there was another guy who was also a Mormon, but he was a Jack Mormon. He's like, the Mormon church bought a share of Coca-Cola. Yep. <laughs> well, that's Same. like they do the uh, they do the soaking. Did we talk about that on the on the show yeah, yet? I, I know what you're talking about, but I don't know if we talked about it All on right, the show. Well, I don't remember either, but we'll just – let's just like – we'll bring it up. So the Mormons will do soaking where um, it's not so, – so premarital sex is a sin. Uh, to Mormons, but according to Mormons, sex is defined as the act of thrusting. So, 
what these Mormons now do is they insert themselves uh, and then they have buddies, I guess, uh, bounce on the bed to simulate the thrusting. But because the person uh, or persons engaged in the act of insertion, I guess, uh, are not actually they themselves thrusting, it is not considered sex. Uh, but I guess it's just as fun, but a little more awkward because your best buddies are there. Mormons uh, just have anal sex before marriage in that way. Yeah. You know, it doesn't count. Yes. I'm not sure if that's 100% true. I've heard stories about it that are about individuals where that was true for them. Yeah. <laughs> well, and maybe uh, maybe we'll have to get a Mormon on the show and uh, then we can find out. Coincidentally, my uh, former co-worker, uh, who was a hardcore Mormon, was heavily into crypto and like penny stocks and stuff. And okay. he lost his ass. He, he uh, Mormons are not allowed to gamble, but they are allowed to play the stock market. Okay. And the stock market is basically just gambling. And he lost so much money that he lost and he freaked out and he shot up one of his uh, employers okay. when he got fired. <laughs> I uh, did not believe that story, but it did make a newspaper. Okay. Uh, I will not tell you where it happened, but it made a newspaper and I got sent the article by one of our uh, mutual associates. <laughs> so you have uh, more historical evidence that that was true than Lee Strobel has about that fountain proving that Jesus existed. Right. Oh, oh yeah. I saw his mugshot and I read the article. <laughs> <laughs> and that is what historical researching looks like. Yes. Yeah, because I was like, what? I don't believe this. So he, uh, interesting. Yes. Very interesting. Very, Most very. The worse their behavior is. What's that? I said, I've found in life that the worse people's or the more people restrict their behavior the worse it becomes. You know? Yes. It like bottles up and it explodes. Yeah, I have found that to be true as well. The more you ref restrain somebody from doing something, the more they want to do it. And it might just be out of spite. But I think I think the the maybe the key takeaway is that like abstinence it doesn't have to be sex, but like abstinence is not really an effective teaching tool. You know, I think Teaching people to have healthy relationships with things is more important. I agree with that. I'm not done either, by the way. I'm I, not done I'm, either, but I don't know that I have much more to talk about without uh, vamping. And uh, this is going to be a long episode regardless. So That's true. I have, uh, I'm an inch and a half-ish right now, and it's still quite good. Yeah, why don't we call the episode and you and I can just uh, chat a little bit longer. But we'll pick everybody else up next week. Sounds good. I uh, highly recommend the Kristoff. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's, uh, it is wonderful. Thank you to uh, Tobacco Grove. Yep, thank you. Not a sponsor, but if you'd like to be, you know how to find us. Be safe, have fun.